this morning. Um, if you are visiting with us today, I want to especially welcome you. If this is your very first time here at Grace, we thank you for uh, joining us today. And I would ask if you would be so kind as to take a moment and use the QR code that should be on the card printed in front of you in your pew. It looks like the one on the screen behind me. And what you can do is you can use your smartphone and you can scan that and it will take you to a place where you can answer just a couple of questions about who you are. Tell us a little bit about yourself and then that gives us the opportunity to follow up with you and answer any questions that you may have about our ministry. And uh, we would count it an honor just to get to know you um, a little bit better. Now, this morning, I would ask if you would uh, find 1 Samuel chapter 25. We're going to continue on in our study on the life of David. It's been derailed over the last few weeks for various reasons. Um, and so it's good to be back and able to get back into our study together this morning. As you're finding 1 Samuel 25, uh, if you're familiar with Scripture at all and you've been in introduced to scripture even a little bit, um, you will find that as you read through the Bible, as you read through the biblical account of scripture, you're going to be very hard pressed to find a person that is perfect. In fact, you're only going to find one perfect person, and that is the Lord Jesus Christ himself. Every other person that we find recorded for us through inspiration of God that we read about in scripture each and every one of them were deeply flawed, they were deeply sinful, and in desperate need of a Savior. Even David, as we've been studying his life, we know that he has been called in Scripture, he's referred to as a man after God's own heart. He was a man that God used miraculously and powerfully and very uniquely in Scripture. He is certainly a person that we want to look to and learn but one of the things that we are going to learn from studying his life is his imperfections. And learning, in his, learning from his imperfections can hopefully help us grow and mature and become more like Christ. Now, my question for you today is this. Have you ever thought to yourself that you have arrived spiritually? Have you ever believed that about yourself? that you have arrived spiritually, and yet usually when we begin to fall into that delusional thinking that we have somehow arrived spiritually, we are often very strongly often reminded of how sinful we are and that we are still in desperate need of change. You know, I've been, I was thinking over the last uh, couple of days just about today's anger-driven culture. We think about the anger that drives our culture, whether it's in community meetings or Little League games or school meetings where they're ending in threats and even violence. It seems to me that as a culture, we have lost the ability to behave like adults, to behave in a way that would not be anger-driven. In fact, I read an article back on August the 15th. It was an article by an organization called Business Insider, and they were talking about uh, local sports teams in the area. And it said, from a brawl breaking out at a youth baseball game to furious coaches screaming and shoving an umpire, youth sports officials have had to deal with chaos on and off the field. 
And now with the pandemic, many are simply saying it's not worth it anymore because of the difficulties and challenges from parents and umpires and from fans and all those things that the umpires and the uh, referees are beginning to quit. Now, I'm asking you this morning to think about a couple of very specific matters that we're going to look at in just a moment from David's life that he was confronted with in his own personal life and ask yourself these couple of questions before we look at 1 Samuel 25. Number one, how do you respond when someone slights you? In other words, when someone does something to you that you don't feel like you deserved, you don't feel like it was fair, I love that, the fairness flag flies very high in many people's lives, whether it's fair or whether it's unkind, how do you respond to either a real or more often than not, perceived slight when someone does something against you that you don't like? How do you respond? Number two, how do you respond when someone loves you enough to confront you and rebuke you for your own spiritual well-being and benefit and protection? How do you respond to those who speak to you when you do respond sinfully. So as we're going to learn from the life of David today is that David, being a man after God's own heart, was not a person who was beyond sin, nor was he a person who was beyond needing a loving rebuke. In fact, as you think back where we have been in the life of David, and some new people here maybe this morning who have not been a part of our study, and it's been about three weeks or so since we've been able to be together uh, with me being able to speak to you. Um, David had turned the other cheek when Saul had wronged him and egregiously sought to kill him. We have the account when he's in the cave and, and Saul walks in and he has every opportunity to kill this man who's trying to kill him. And instead he shows Saul grace and mercy and doesn't cause him harm. And yet in 1 Samuel 25, we are going to see that David's ego is wounded when somebody slights him, and David is going to become impulsive and begin to act like a fool when he decides to take this one little slight by this person and seek revenge. And not only revenge, but to seek murder. Not just of the one who have slighted him, but lots of other people as well. So let's take a look at the events that we find in 1 Samuel 25. And as we look at this, let's see how we see ourselves in this account as we read these verses. Let's begin reading in verse number 1 of chapter 25. Now, Samuel died... It's kind of interesting, by the way, we won't get into this this morning, it's kind of interesting how brief we have the recording of Samuel's death, but we won't discuss that at length this morning. But now Samuel died, and all of Israel assembled and mourned for him, and they buried him in his house at Ramah. Then David rose and went down to the wilderness of Paran. And there was a man in Man whose business was in Carmel. The man was very rich. Notice, by the way, the description of all that he has. He had 3,000 sheep and 1,000 goats. He was shearing his sheep in Carmel. Now, the name of the man was Nabal, 
and the name of his wife, Abigail. The woman was discerning and beautiful, but the man was harsh, badly behaved. He was a Calebite. David heard in the wilderness that Nabal was shearing his sheep. So David sent 10 young men, and David said to the young men, Go up to Carmel and go to Nabal and greet him in my name. And thus you shall, you shall greet him. Peace be to you, and peace be to your house, and peace be to all that you have. I hear that you have shearers. Now your shepherds have been with us, and we did them no harm, and they missed nothing all the time they were in Carmel. Ask your young men, and they will tell you. Therefore, let my young men find favor in your eyes, for we come on a feast day. Please give whatever you have at hand to your servants and to your son David. Okay, these first opening verses kind of give us the context of what is going on. David sends a group of his men to this man by the name of Nabal. Now, let's just talk briefly about him. First of all, Nabal, as we commented, was a very wealthy man who was a descendant of Caleb. Notice he has a tremendous amount of livestock, a sign of his wealth, a sign of his power. What is interesting about the word Nabal is it means in Hebrew, it means fool. And this man is by name, either intellectually or socially, this person is described as a fool. Now, it's interesting to me, names in the Bible are an interesting study in and of themselves, how certain names get associated with people and take on a meaning uh, such as Nabal, meaning fool, it makes you wonder, what was his parents like? Why would you name this little child fool? Was he just lying there after being born? And they thought to himself, he looks like a fool. Let's name him Nabal. I don't know if that's what happened. Probably not. Might, what might very well have happened is this is a name that he has earned for himself through his period of time of demonstrating himself to be a fool. So whether or not this is his actual name or this is a name that has been ascribed to him because of his behavior, certainly don't pretend to know that. But what we do know is that this man, Nabal, who which means fool, is exactly that. This man is a fool. What is very interesting is his wife, however, is in great contrast to this man. He is married to a woman by the name of Abigail. She is described in the text as a very intelligent woman. She is a very beautiful woman. She is a generous woman. You could say it this way. She is the brains and the beauty in this operation. I've heard this in marriage counseling for a very long time. Before marriage, opposites attract. After marriage, opposites attack. I don't know what their married life was like. I don't know. But you can imagine you have this woman of intelligence, this woman of great beauty, married to a man who is described in Scripture and will demonstrate himself to be an absolute fool. Now, here's the situation of what is taking place. We talked a lot about shearing animals and all those things. What, is, what in the world does that have to do with anything? Why is that important? Well, we also notice that this was a time of a feast. And what David reminds Nabal, wants his men to remind Nabal of, is that David and his men in verse 7 and later on in verse 16, they had acted as a security force and had protected Nabal's men. 
while they were out with their sheep, they had protected them. Verse 7 says, I hear the have shearers. Now your shepherds have been with us, and we did them no harm, and they missed nothing all the time that they were in Carmel. Ask your men, and they will tell you about it. We protected them. We did good deeds to them. Verse 16, it says that we served as a wall of protection around your men. Now, this time of shearing is a very important historical moment. What this was, was it was an opportunity where people would then use this time to show blessings to other people and to show hospitality to other people when they were in need. And so David, remembering where David is at the moment, he's still running for his life, okay? He's still trying to avoid Saul and not get wrapped up into Saul. And so David, because he had served Nabal's men, sends him this request. Notice verse 6. The first part of this request is a blessing. Greet him with this. Peace be to you and peace be to your house and peace to all that you have. He's wishing Nabal well, giving him this warm greeting. Verses 7 and 8, he reviews for them the history that he has protected their men. And then he says at the end of verse 8, we have come on a feast day. Please give whatever you have at your hand to your servants and to your son, David. David needed monetary support. He needed food. He needed provisions for his men. And because of this protection for Nabal, he makes a very reasonable request. And during this period of time, especially for the wealthy, this was a time in which they would show beneficence, kindness, gratefulness to other people and help them in their time of need. Now, understand, by the way, we'll talk about this maybe a little bit more later, but understand that David's physical need and financial need is not because of irresponsibility. It's not because he's not working. It's not because he's not laboring. It is because of his circumstances. He is on the run. His men are on the run. They need food. They need, they need provisions. And so David makes this very reasonable request. Now let's notice what happens in verse 9. When David's young men came, they said all this to Nabal in the name of David, and they waited. And Nabal answered David's servants, who is David? Who is this son of Jesse? Notice his reasoning. There are many servants these days who are breaking away from their masters. Who's this guy? Shall I take from, notice this word, my bread? Should I take my bread and my water and my meat that I have killed from my shearers and give it to men who come from I don't know where? Notice the selfishness just in his own words, if you're underlining, just the word my, and they're my sheep, and it's my provisions, and it's my things. So David's young men turned away and came back and told him all this. And David said to his men, every man strap on his sword. And every man strapped on his sword. David also strapped on his sword. And about 400 men went up after David, while 200 remained with the baggage. Now let's notice here what's going on in David's response to this rejection when Nabal tells him, no, who is David? He's probably a runaway slave. This guy's probably a bum. Why would I help this guy? I'm not giving anything for my wealth to this man. 
Notice that, first of all, Nabal was showing his ungratefulness for David's service. He has no sense of gratefulness for what David has done for him. By the way, Nabal, you are able to experience some of the blessings that you have is because of David's men and the protection that they had given to them during this period of time. So he is ungrateful. He is also ungenerous. Okay, he is a man, now again, note the words I and my. He has blessings, he has money, he has provisions, but he's not going to share them with anybody. This isn't a message on benevolence this morning and giving financially to help either people, but understanding that generosity is to be a part of every believer's life, giving to people who are in need. But he is also being unlawful. Nabal is not only ungrateful, he's not only not being generous, he's also being unlawful. Deuteronomy chapter 15, if any among you, one of your brothers should become poor in any of your towns within your land that the Lord your God has given you, you shall not harden your heart and shut your hand against your poor brother, but you shall open your hand to him and lend him sufficient for his need, whatever it may be. And so David, in response to this slight, get your swords, boys, it's on. You're going to tell me no, you're going to slight me, then you know what? You're dead. Not only are you going to be dead, but we're going to come and we're going to wipe out all of your men and we are going to take revenge on you because you wouldn't help us. Does that sound like you at all, by the way, when people slight you like this? Again, we always think about just physical swords, pulling out my sword and stabbing, and in this case, physically harming somebody. We may not do that. We probably won't do that. Most of you would never do that. But you slay them with your words and your tongue. You're out, you're out to get them. You want revenge. You want to get even because this person slighted you. They wounded your ego. They wounded your pride. They got under your skin. David, a man after God's own heart, a few chapters earlier, shows great grace and mercy to Saul, who has already thrown swords at him and stuck him against the wall on more than one occasion. But this man won't give him a little food and provisions, and he's ready to kill him. He's ready to take revenge. Now, understanding that Romans chapter 12, verse 19 was way in the future at this point, but there's Old Testament principles that would have certainly backed this same verse up. But Romans 12, 19 reminds us that revenge, vengeance belongs to the Lord. It was not something that someone was to get even. Now, here's the other interesting debate or interesting observation, not debate, but an interesting observation we expect Nabal to act like a fool, and now David's acting just like him. Have you noticed that when a foolish person does something foolish, how quickly we begin to act just like them? In fact, Proverbs chapter 26 verse 4 tells us to not answer a fool according to his folly, lest you become like him. Who's being the fool in this text? Nabal? And David, they're acting like little selfish children who are now taking this slight to the point that David is ready and prepared to commit 
murder. Now, by God's grace, let's notice what happens in verse 14. But one of the young men told Abigail, Nabal's wife, Behold, behold, David sent messengers out of the wilderness to greet our master. And notice this, and he railed against them. Yet the men were very good to us, and we suffered no harm, and we did not miss anything when we were in the fields, as long as we went with them, with David's men. Verse 16, I already alluded to, they were a wall to us both night and by day, all the while we were with them, keeping the sheep. Now, therefore, know this and consider what you should do, for harm is determined against our master, against all his house, and he is such a worthless man that one can speak to him. You can't can't talk to Nabal. You can't go to him because he is, by their own description, he is a worthless man. He is described in verse 14 as hurling insults at David's men. And yet, David is described as a good person, a person who had treated them well, a person who had treated them with respect. And so now they come to Abigail, understanding that Nabal, being a worthless man, was not going to do anything about this. Can't go to him. Notice what happens, verse 16. Then Abigail made haste and took 200 loaves and 200 skins of wine and five sheep already prepared and five seahs of parched grain and a hundred clusters of raisins and 200 cakes of figs and laid them on donkeys. That's quite, that's quite the buffet. And she said to her young men, go on before me, behold, I come after you. But they did not tell her husband Nabal. And as she rode on the donkey and she came under cover of the mountain, behold, David and his men came down toward her and she met them. Now David had said, here's David's words. This is what David is talking about while they're traveling. Surely in vain have I guarded all that fellow has in the wilderness so that nothing was missed of all that belonged to him. And he has returned me evil for good. I did good to him. And he, look at what he did to me. After everything I've done for him, this is how he's going to treat us. God, do so to the enemies of David and more also if by morning I leave so much as one male of all who belong to him alive. I'm going to kill them all. I won't read the full part of the next text in the next section, but look at verse 24. Abigail now coming before David, it says, she fell at his feet and said, on me alone, my Lord, be guilt. Please let your servant speak in your ears and hear the words of your servant. Let not my Lord regard this worthless fellow Nabal, for as his name is, so is he. Nabal is his name and folly is in him. Look at verse 26. Now then, my Lord, as the Lord lives and as your soul lives, because the Lord has restrained you from blood guilt and from saving with your own hand, now then, let your enemies and those who seek to do evil to my Lord be as Nabal. Verse 28, please forgive the trespasses of your servant, for the Lord will certainly make my Lord a sure house, because my Lord is fighting the battles of the Lord, and evil shall not be found in you so long as you live. Jump down to verse 31. My Lord shall have no cause of grief or pangs of conscience for having shed blood without cause. For my 
my Lord, taking vengeance of himself. And when the Lord has dealt well with my Lord, then remember your servant. She pleads with him, David, don't do this. You are, notice, first of all, she takes, she doesn't excuse her husband's actions, but interestingly enough, she actually takes responsibility for them. But she is also reminding David of who he is. He is God's chosen man. Don't lower yourself and behave like Nabal when God has wonderful plans for you. Now think about this for a moment. It's hard for us as 2021 Americans thinking about the cultural ramifications of what Abigail just did. First of all, by the way, this is the long, if I'm not mistaken, this is the longest speech by a woman in the Old Testament. And when you think about David listening to the wife of the man who he wants to kill, and she comes out before, think about the courage that took on her part to step out and to say, David, you are wrong. This is wrong. What you're doing is not right. Don't take vengeance. You're going to have blood on your hands, innocent blood on your hands. You then would be sinning against God. Don't do this. Abigail is what Jesus refers to in Matthew 5, verse 9, when Jesus said, Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called the sons of God. Abigail was an active peacemaker rather than a troublemaker like her husband. In a world characterized as filled with conflict and rivalry and anger and hatred, a keeper of the peace is rare, but a peacemaker is even more uncommon. You see, very often, most of us are peace lovers. We avoid conflict. We don't want conflict. We avoid it at all costs. We selfishly protect ourselves. And Abigail here, rather than being selfish, she lays her, in a sense, her own life on the line to confront the soon-to-be king of Israel, David, to say, David, don't do this. She wasn't interested in ignoring the problem. She was a peacemaker. She was going to develop a relationship that hopefully would bring peace. You know, during our quarantine time, when you can't go anywhere, you're not allowed out, and I was too sick to do much, I watched more television than I've watched in the last 10 years of my life. And I was watching this one old television show, and there was a, it was a family sort of, you know, dramatic kind of thing, or a family comedy kind of thing. And they had this family crisis, And the son was basically something tragic had happened, but they didn't want to tell the son about it because he was sensitive and it might hurt his feelings. And now some 20-some years later, they finally get around to telling him about this issue that happened when he was a kid. And he gets mad. That's not what our family does. We ignore problems. We don't confront problems. We pretend like they don't exist. It's unpleasant to face a problem. It's unpleasant to face conflict. It's unpleasant to experience that. Yes, it is, but it's also foolish to ignore a legitimate problem for 20 years, 30 years. That's not a peacemaker. That's a a peace lover who is too much of a coward to confront a problem. 
And so when Abigail sees this issue, she could have let her husband just, hey, you know what? He's a bum. He probably deserves to be killed anyway. Go ahead, David. Take care of him. But instead, she is a woman of not just physical beauty, but a woman who is beautiful, who step beautiful in character and steps out and does the right thing and speaks to him. Now notice what David does. Now here's the, here's the point. Okay, if I've lost over the last, all the details, here's the point. David now has a choice to make. He has been slighted. Was it a real or perceived slight? Well, let's argue it was a real slight. David had performed a service for Nabal. Nabal doesn't do it. Nabal doesn't help him. It's a real slight. He really did sin against David. True. And in response, David is now acting like a fool. He's on his way. Swords are ready. His men are ready. There is going to be not a single man left alive by morning. That's David's plan. His ego is wounded His anger is sky high, and this woman urges him to relent. What would he, what would, what's he going to do? What would you do? Would you listen to reason? Would you listen to someone who had the guts and the courage to confront you in this moment of anger when your sword is drawn and ready? Well, we're going to see that while David was far from a perfect man, we are going to see another glimpse of David's heart. Notice verse 32, and David said to Abigail, blessed be the Lord, the God of Israel, who sent you this day to meet me. Blessed be your discretion and blessed be you who have kept me this day from blood guilt and from avenging myself with my own hand. For as surely as the Lord, the God of Israel, lives, who has restrained me from hurting you, unless you had hurried and come to meet me, truly by morning there had not been left to Nabal so much as one male." Then David received from her hand what she brought him, and he said to her, Go up in peace to your house. See, I have obeyed your voice, and I have granted your petition. Wow. David shows the true heart of a believer when he listens to the wisdom that Abigail gives to him And by the way, at this point in the story, Abigail saves a lot of lives. But one of the lives that she saves, in a very real sense, is she saves David from a very dangerous act of disaster. This could have been a disastrous moment in David's life, and yet he relents and he listens to this woman, Abigail. Now, we won't read all the rest of the verses, but let me just finish the account of Abigail and Nabal for a moment. Verse 36, and Abigail came to Nabal, and behold, he was holding a feast in the house, like the feast of a king. And Nabal's heart was merry within him, for he was very drunk. So she told him nothing at all until the morning light. In the morning, when the wine had gone out of Nabal, his wife told him these things, and his heart died within him, and he became as a stone. And about ten days later, the Lord struck Nabal, and he 
died. The Lord, in this case, took care of Nabal. He had a stroke or a heart attack or something, and 10 days later, he's, he's dead. All of his other men, they are spared. David is spared. There is no bloodshed. David is delivered by the words of Abigail. Let me just apply this for just a couple of moments to us this morning. What does this all mean to us? Let me just give you a few observations about this text and what we need to think about as we think about David's reaction to Abigail's confrontation. First of all, failures often follow victories. It's so true. In David's life, he handled Saul's wickedness very well. But he didn't handle Nabal's little insult comparatively. Didn't handle that so well. And very often in our spiritual life, we handle the big tests of life, but we fail at times in the much smaller ones. Nabal's insult doesn't compare to that of Saul, and yet David responds to Saul with grace, and he's ready to kill Nabal. Secondly, it's very dangerous, I think, as we read this text, to allow a wounded ego to dictate our behavior. Don't answer a fool in their folly, lest you become like him. David, don't answer Nabal in his folly. Just because he's a fool doesn't mean you need to be a fool. And yet our punctured egos cannot often go without losing control of our emotions and responding and seeking revenge and seeking to get even and responding like a fool. You ever watch these videos, these social civil meetings that are ending with people screaming at each other in the parking lot and threatening one another and jumping around and screaming and yelling. You ever watch that and just sit there and ask yourself, what do they look like? I don't know what your answer to that question is, but I'll tell you what I say. They look like a bunch of fools. Why would you act like that? A fool says something, why do you respond? Because your ego doesn't like it. Because you don't like it when somebody does something against you. Neither do I. But we need to understand, my third observation is, decisions made in a time of anger and resentment and vengeance can be disastrous. And it was only by God's mercy and Abigail's wisdom and Abigail's courage that David relented. And then finally, I think we need to all be reminded of this simple truth. It's God's place to render judgment. Now, we like this story. Nabal got what he, deser- what he deserved quickly. What if Nabal had lived another 20 years? See, we want our enemies judged decisively, like Nabal. Maybe we don't want them to die, but we want something to happen to them. In this case, it seems like a win. Hey, God won. Look, God did what he said he would do. He took vengeance on this man. Well, again, what if he didn't? What if he had lived another 20, 30 years? And then finally, my last observation for you to consider is, how do you respond to the loving rebuke of someone who tries to correct your folly? Do you listen Or do you just disregard the person's input 
You know, David needed to remember the long-term purposes of God. He didn't want to sacrifice God's best for him of what God had planned for him because of an impulsive decision. And it was Abigail who reminded him of all the great things that God was going to bring through the life of David. There is a long-term advantage to obeying God over our momentary gains and our impulsive self-indulgent behavior and our wounded egos. Patience and restraint are required to experience God's best in life, but it's not always easy. But what we find in this story is we have to live like David and control our responses, even when someone wrongs us. So I end where I began. How do you respond when someone slights you, either real or perceived? Do you respond with folly or do you respond with wisdom? How do you respond when a person loves you enough to be a peacemaker and confront you when you're on the road of folly? Do you respond with grace and mercy and thankfulness as David did? Bless you, Abigail. Thank you. Or you just get mad at them too. And they just become another enemy on the list of enemies that you're already mad at. I pray that we would develop a heart like David, a heart that even when slighted, responded with grace and wisdom for God's glory. Let's pray. Father, thank you for this text and this account. It's a longer story, a lot to digest in these verses. Lord, may it be a challenge to each and every one of us that we never become fools in our own minds and and allowing the slights of, the inevitable slights of this world to get under our skin to the place that we would respond. We would never, I hope, I pray, never bodily hurt someone, but often it's with our words and with our language and with our speech that we cause harm. And Lord, I pray that we would learn from Abigail how to lovingly confront someone in the wrong but also from David, that we would be a person that would respond well even when corrected. We ask now your blessing on the closing moments of our service, and we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. We're going to sing a song of uh, response this morning. You're welcome to respond as the Lord leads. You can pray where you are. You certainly can come here to the front if you would like to pray. We do have family coming for members.